Today's episode of the Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Calshi. We've talked about a few key events on this show recently, notably the debt ceiling negotiation going on right now. And we've come across a platform that allows you to trade directly on its outcome. Calshi is a federally regulated exchange backed by Sequoia Capital, Y Combinator, Charles Schwab, and other top investors that have invented a new asset class, event contracts. Event contracts allow investors to take yes or no positions on events such as whether the U.S. will default on its debt obligations, whether the Fed will hike rates in June, what Biden's approval rating will be next month, and much more. Calshi's event contracts allow you a chance to profit from being right about where the world is heading in targeted ways and is offering Real Vision listeners $15 when they sign up using the link calshi.com slash realvision right now. Again, that's calshi.com slash realvision to claim your $15 credit now. AI, friend or foe. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this special Festival of Learning AI edition of the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today, RV co-founder and CEO, Raul Powell, and David Matten, founder of New World, Same Humans. Hi, gents. I'm so excited to see you. Hello there. It's great to be here, Maggie. Good to be here. So we are only in day two of our Festival of Learning, and we've already had some seriously mind-blowing conversations. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. I mean, unbelievable. Um, we're going to be covering a lot of ground over these two weeks, but we wanted to bring you in a little early in it so that we could get your view on some of the themes that we're going to be touching on and take some questions because we get so many about AI. But before we get to that, just a quick programming note. If you are not already a Real Vision member, you need to register in order to access the festival. It's free, but you do need to head over to the link that is pinned to the top of the chats. Um, and we'll be showing it at the end as well. Um, so David, we we spoke to Peter, we kicked it off with Peter, Peter Diamandis and uh, Salim Ismail on Monday. And they're not even publishing their book, Exponential Companies, because things are moving so quickly. They just have to have it live online because they can't update it you know, quickly enough. What do you make about what's going on? Like, Are you surprised at the rate of change and how many applications seem to be rolling out around AI? Yeah, it's a tough time to be in the business of writing a book about AI because the publishing business is, to put it generously, linear and... Um, AI is exponential. The publishing in people in publishing take about two weeks to reply to an email. <laughs> AI eventually advanced, and it's, it's incredibly hard to keep track of. I can't. It's it's a blistering pace of change. I can't say I'm shocked because you know, like Raoul, like you, I've been watching it for a while. And when you have pace of change this fast, what's happening is the convergence of hugely powerful forces that have been built. And this was, this was, it was a brilliant conversation and this was talked about in the conversation, hugely powerful forces that have been building for a long time. And the change has come slowly and then all at once. This change has been building for years, for decades, if you wanna look at the history of AI. But the last few years and the last year and the last few months and the last few weeks, it's just exponentially built. You know, the compute power, the complexity of the transformer models, putting ChatGPT into the hands of 100 million people in two months, then you get a pace of change that feels staggering and impossible. But if you look at the history, and it, it's not, 
uh, it makes sense, but it's still, it's every time you look at it, it still feels impossible. You have to believe it all over again. And that's the thing with human beings and exponentials. And Raoul talks about this all the time. We'll never be comfortable with them. We just yeah. can't quite get our head around exponential change. And that change is only, only going to accelerate. So today we spoke with Mike Green and Nardo Menelato about what happens when AI meets quantum. I mean, it's sort of, as you say, has been already behind the scenes, but we're also kind of at a tipping point there. And you know, we got a lot of questions about that too from very smart viewers who were wondering about the same thing. Uh, amazing, amazing conversation. But I wanted to get your reaction to something interesting that Mike Green said during that conversation. Let's have a listen to a clip from that. Yep. One of the things that he brought up is this idea of automation in the home, which is to me, one of the primary mechanisms that we're ultimately gonna see this play through, whether it's Alexa type applications or self-monitoring thermometers or temperature gauges, et cetera. Um, when you think about this type of dynamic, one of the things that jumps out at me is the regulatory framework that many of the leaders in the AI space are actually pushing for very rapidly. And I, you know, I'm known for the expression, why are you reading this now? My immediate reaction to what I'm hearing coming out of the open AIs, et cetera, is a reaction to the Google memo that points out that they're going to lose, right? Google has self-assessed and said, we're going to lose this battle. Open AI is going to lose this battle because open source AI is where it's all at. Um, they can move faster, they can break things faster, they can play around faster. I'm seeing this, you know, I'm seeing this push for regulation as effectively a plea to protect the early entrants more than I am seeing it as a plea to protect the public. But by, by the way, that, that comment was like right out of the gate of what was almost an hour-long conversation. It, it was incredibly profound. When it was over, um, our great colleague, Laura, said it should be mandatory viewing for every human. I mean, that's the kind of conversation it was. Um, if you weren't able to join us live, make the time to go watch it. If you are not a member, go to the link so that you can register for the festival so you can watch it. It's that important. Um, Raul, I'm, I'm laughing because only Mike could like reach back into history and pull up a Thomas Edison reference to fill out that, that point he was making. But it's interesting. It raises some serious questions about the valuation of these companies. We see the NASDAQ up again. GitLab is up 33% because of an AI announcement. I mean, these are big questions about what those business models are going to look like. I don't know. What's your reaction to that? Look, we don't know. And I think, as Mike alludes to, um, the scaling of, of truly open source AI means it's going to be ubiquitous. My view on all of this is it's down to the data sets. It's like the internet, right? The internet is the tool. In the end, it's what you get out of it. So yes, open AI might be the Google of the new world, but there's going to be a lot of people who hold data sets that are extraordinarily valuable. And those private data sets, I think, this is what Emad's been talking about as well, is there's a lot of people who's going to build private data sets, like Bloomberg's building one. In fact, Real Vision is looking at building ours, about what can we do with private data sets with, you know, 7,000 hours of transcripts that we've got and all the other things, you know. So I'm not sure if it becomes a utility. Maybe the infrastructure becomes a utility. David, you talked a lot about this in the articles you've been writing for GMI, that you actually changed my framework 
and put AI as kind of a foundational layer. Talk talk through what that what you meant by that. Yeah, I think that this is a fundamental point, and I think one of the if we're going to make sense of the exponential age and the shift that's happening now, one of the key characteristics of it, one of the key fundamental shifts is the abundance of intelligence. Intelligence historically has been rare. Human beings within reasonable, reasonably recent history were, were pretty rare. There weren't that many of us. And part of the huge value of human beings was the, the intelligence they could bring. And then we could, we could sort of Put that intelligence together, network it in primitive and, and ways. Creativity, and, have, and creativity. Right, was the other exactly. One. Yeah. And have forms of collective intelligence. And we started companies and everything. It's very hard to get your head around a world where intelligence itself is abundant. Intelligence is on tap. But that is the world we are that is emerging around us now. You can hit a button now and access intelligence, right? It's not human level intelligence yet. It's not as flexible as that yet. But that is the world we're emerging into. And that to me is perhaps one of the fact, well, it is one of the foundational shifts that defines the exponential age, the big shift we're talking about into a new civilizational system. So I think, you know, I'm re and I reached for analogies in the GMI essay I wrote. And one of them I think that works is in essentially intelligence becomes something akin to a new kind of fuel, a new kind of, in a new kind of electricity that powers everything. Part of what the exponential age is about at heart is intelligence flowing through everything, objects, devices, tools, the physical world. That is a shift that is just profoundly transformational. And then, yeah, perhaps, you know, open AI, perhaps the, the big leaders now essentially do become something akin to utilities. Um, and I do buy the argument that this, you know, their calls for regulation is at least in part a play to consolidate their position amongst a sort of whole raft of, of open source insurgents. You know, they want to be, they think that one likely fruitful future for them is as highly regulated, you know, controlled providers of the most sophisticated advanced models. Um, and then you'll have a whole ton of open source insurgents providing all kinds of other specialist models. And I think you're absolutely right about data. You know, this is a this is going to be an incredible time for people and organizations that can bring proprietary content and frameworks and data and marry that with AI and fine tune their own model and give that to the world. I mean, one way of thinking about it is we grew up in a world where we would worship something like Albert Einstein. And now we all worship an algorithm, an AI, because somebody will have something so powerful that it's so clever. And the, the closer we approach AGI, the more we all worship these things as opposed to humans, because humans can't compete. As you said, a world where knowledge and intelligence and creativity is infinitely scalable reduces so many of the frictions of what is possible and we go into the realm of what we thought to be impossible, which is an, an extraordinary thing. Now, yesterday we had the big Apple announcement as well. Yeah. How does that all fit with AI? Because as you've said, AI is a foundational layer for everything of the exponential age now, as much as compute power is and energy is, 
that without the these are the three things that generate everything. And now we're starting to build stuff like Apple. Talk us through the Apple thing, how it all fits into AI. Yeah, I mean, this you know, it, it, this is an incredible development, and it's although people don't um, think about it necessarily in these terms, it is it is hugely implicated in the bigger picture we're talking about. You have this foundational layer of the exponential age, exactly as you say. You know, energy is foundational for civilization. Energy is necessary for anything, any meaningful work, intelligence, compute power to run your intelligence and you know, monumental amounts of data, of information that you're moving around and that you're doing work on with that intelligence. Then above that, you have you know, what we're calling in these essays, the, what you first of all called the productivity layer. You know, how, how does it change tools, what we can do, how we generate knowledge, the economy? And I think what's fundamental there about the exponential age is that we're going to see this digital physical unified field you know and i talked about this just a moment ago you know that the f we're going to see information flows and intelligence flows through everything and through all physical objects through the the world around i don't think us. people get their heads around what you're saying when you're saying through physical objects but almost every modern object has a computer in it right and right. as you've talked about a few times and beforehand we were swapping some notes and you said well, don't forget, you know, you can put a two gig large language model on a mobile phone that doesn't access the internet. Anybody and any machine, any machine can have a large language model. Yeah, I mean, any any machine with enough compute power inside it can. And, and this is what's crucial about Apple. So yeah, Apple Vision Pro yesterday, you know, this, and it's been, you know, the worst kept secret for a year or two, you know, finally their, their, their augmented reality headset, and they've gone with augmented reality, not virtual reality. So this is about dropping a digital layer over the physical world um, around you. Uh, there was a whole ton of metaverse hype back in 21. You know, we know that um, this is perhaps going to be the kind of minimum viable product that gets more people interested in the metaverse, though I think that word is kind of fading away, in the power of virtual worlds. And it, it, what it's signaling is exactly what I'm talking about, the, the beginnings, the emergence of this unified digital physical field where information can become part of the physical world around us. And you can drop physical objects and you can drop digital layers of information over your physical environment. Now, how does that connect to AI? And you hinted at this. It's because Apple have essentially, you know, in plain sight, but in secret, been building a network of localized AI supercomputers. Every MacBook Pro these days has an M2 chip in it capable on its own, on device, of running a pretty sophisticated large language model. So anyone now can have their own large language model running on their own Apple laptop, and they'll be able to connect that to now their Apple augmented reality headset and literally, you know, speak virtual objects into existence. I mean, we see these incredible text to image models, text to virtual world models are next. Um, I mean, you're, we're seeing them now on the internet, Ready. but now we're yeah. going to see them in real virtual space. You know, create me a beautiful landscape, and, and there it will be. And people don't realize 
is why you have it on your phone. A, it's not connected to the open AI network, and maybe Apple will respect privacy, maybe they won't. Let's assume that they do. The thing is, it becomes your AI for you. It learns everything that you do, who you speak to, how you do it. Now, that data is private, but it understands your life. Yeah, exactly. It understands how to reply to your mum when she texts you saying, why haven't you called me? It, it understands all of these things. It understands how to navigate your Microsoft systems or your Apple stuff or what you're doing in every way because it's with you. I mean, again, people don't understand this, but embedding AI into machines makes everything even more exponential. Yeah, it's so, it's so powerful and, and exactly that. I mean, you're going, you're going to have, you know, lots of people were hoping that Apple would talk about their AI plans yesterday too and they didn't what they've given us essentially is half of the half of the picture in my view you know if uh, take a step back and look at the big puzzle that they're building a major piece of it was put in place yesterday you know virtual worlds this is their play inside the metaverse inside virtual worlds but that is going to be married with their play inside ai which they've secretly you know somewhat secretly been laying out all these years and now they have m2 highly competent artificial intelligence chips in their latest laptops and you'll be able to run your own personalized large language model your own personalized essentially virtual companion who knows everything about you everything you've ever typed into the laptop everything you've ever searched for your tastes your preferences and speaks to you constantly, you run your life through that virtual companion AI and is now synced to this headset that presents, you know, real your, virtual, your world, virtual yeah. objects across your, yeah, across your physical environment. Um, I mean, this is part of huge. what I think of the mega trend. If you step back from all of this and away from the hype, it's just the digitization of everything. You know, we're seeing the money being digitized. We've seen, you know, um, film being digitized, music being digitized. And now we've got intelligence being digitized. We've got, I mean, literally, and now we've got images being digitized. So the world is being digitized. Everything is being digitized. Maps have been digitized. So one after the other, the digitization of everything. So there's going to be a bunch of people in the comments section going, yeah, well, this is all bullshit because natural language models, they're just parrots. Stochastic parrots is the current trendy phase. Yeah. Like people say about blockchain, it's just a database. Um, and that this is not intelligence. Uh, my view on that, and I'd like to hear yours, is when you watch that film about Deep Go Mind, um, the, the Deep Mind Go, and you saw that it lost its game to the human, they were like, oh, this is never going to win. And then it completely changed how it played and played games never been played before by any human in any way. And they didn't understand it when he was doing it. It was like, this is stupid. It's lost its mind. But it hadn't. It had learned. When Sam Altman was interviewed, he actually asked somebody, I can't remember who it was, Lex Fridman. He's like, do you think this is AGI? And Lex Fridman's like, don't think so. And why he did that is they don't know how this learns. I mean, that's so fundamental yeah. that it's not a stochastic parrot. It actually learns in ways that we don't yet understand. So we, I'm thinking that 
if I speak to somebody in Spanish in the street, my limited Spanish vocabulary makes everybody seem dumb to me because I can't understand them. So my our limited vocabulary with how to speak to the AI and understand what it can do and what it knows means that it always seems more stupid than it potentially is. How do you think of, how do you think about this? Because there's a lot of pushback, like this yeah. is nothing, Siri's crap. Can't you see? I, mean, I saw that comment earlier somewhere as well. Siri doesn't work. I'm like, I don't think we get it yet. But anyway, what's your, on the no, cynicism? I mean, yeah, I mean, Siri, Siri's like about to be or is now deeply irrelevant or the, you know, the last iteration of Siri um, is deeply, deeply irrelevant. Yeah, what is my take on this? Look, part of the problem is that 50 years ago, 60, 70 years ago, whatever, um, you know, the, the, the pioneers of this field chose to call it artificial intelligence. Intelligence is an incredibly vexed word. It's something that we feel we as human beings have. We don't to define. We don't have any understanding of how the human brain, this physical object in our skulls, generates the experience that we all walk around with inside our heads. We don't have any idea about the cognitive processes that underpin language, understanding or generation. It is, it is, a, it is a miracle in plain sight that I'm sort of making sounds now that, that, that conjure understanding in your brain. We, we, don't, we simply don't understand how that works really at all. So when people, so look, I have, uh, as I've said before in my last daily briefing, you know, I'm always open to a bit of skepticism. Skepticism is good. You know, we need to keep, we, we, we you're, always you're need to question. Huh? You're English after all. So you're going yeah, to be a exactly. I mean, you know, I'm in London. If I was not, if I was not somewhat skeptical, I'd have been, I'd be, I'd have been, uh, yeah, sort of sent away by now. But when people come out so confidently and say, you know, this is not intelligence and this is just a stochastic parrot and this is all bullshit, essentially, it's like, hold on a second. You know, we don't we don't understand how the human brain does these things. The AI is doing things we don't understand, too. Uh, you know, my this is pure speculation. My personal belief is that probably some of our language capabilities are essentially statistical, stochastic processes of of relation finding anyway so we are slightly stochastic parrots you know and articulate people are just i mean are likely to be or perhaps are people who simply are better at building a large language model inside their brain you know what i mean so yes and 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 the on a practical level i think a lot of these questions around is this agi or not will somewhat fade away because we are going to start to encounter, and I think we already are with um, GPT-4, intelligence that is flexible enough and nuanced enough to, to be surprising. We can't understand it. It constantly gives us new perspectives and it just becomes an encounter with an intelligence that essentially feels somewhat human in nature. And also what, I find interesting because people always look at today, assess everything on today when you can't, when something's going exponential. So people say, well, I asked it a question about what was my grandmother's first name. He didn't know it, or it gave me a wrong quote. You don't understand that this is still a child. It's at the child stage of learning, right? right? This is not a finished knowledge model. What it is, every question that's being asked by the hundred million people is building its intelligence. It's not a fixed state thing. Yeah. So 
Yeah. The longer yeah. it goes on and the more all of us use it, the smarter it gets, the better it gets in refining the answers. Right, right. And, and some of the reasoning it's capable of doing now is just absolutely astonishing. You know, I mean, if you're not surprised by that, then you're just not paying attention or or, or you're lying. I mean, it, it's just yeah. incredible. Some, some of the, you know, I mean, GPT-4 doesn't know the answer to every factual question, but it can conduct fairly high level linguistic reasoning across a range of domains, often better than most people can. That is, an, that, that is incredible. And don't forget, it's the worst AI we're ever gonna have now. Yeah. It's only gonna hey, get it's only gonna get better. I wanna know? jump so, in. Yeah. I wanna jump in on that on that wild thought because that's absolutely true. And we talked about the pace it's going to change, right? So it's not like, oh, in a few years we'll get an update and then it'll um so Jim is asking, is AI just information processing on steroids? Isn't everything? Yeah, I mean this this goes back to um this goes back to the sort of philosophical stuff about what human intelligence is, yes, essentially it's algorithmic intelligence processing. When you get when you get algorithmic intelligence processing that's complex enough, you start to get outputs like the outputs we're seeing. It's a highly contentious question as to whether the human brain is simply information processing, simply only information processing, or if there are other um, other kind of uh, dimensions. Uh, going on inside the brain that we don't understand. But if there are, we don't have any understanding or model of what they would be because all we can see is physical information processing happening mm -hmm. inside the brain. So isn't if something else is happening, we don't know what it is yet. Isn't the human body, I mean, the human genome is just information processing, right? It's just a biological form of computation. I know yeah, that's I, sacrilegious. I like, David's, I like David's answer about us not being exactly sure, though, leaving the door open that... There's something more, but it doesn't mean that this won't also mimic that since we built it and figure out what that is. But that's going to be maybe one of the things that unfolds. By the way, in the conversation with Nardo today, one of the things, I mean, there were many times where my chin hit the desk, but one of them was when he said solutions will not be within the human realm soon when quantum computing comes. That's a really wild prospect. Well, quantum, quantum computing is, changes the multiplier of the speed of intelligence and information learning, and it becomes well out of the realms of human possibility to compete at that level of computational right. power and speed. Hmm. But if you think about the implications of that, it's huge. Okay, so um, Samantha asked, and I think she had to drop, uh, but she's going to come back and watch it in full. Um, would love to know what AI development Dave is most excited about. I mean, I'm hugely excited about the marriage of really interesting proprietary data sets with powerful large language models. I mean, Raoul mentioned Bloomberg GPT, um, you know, perhaps empowering Bloomberg and the world of finance to make even more money is not is not deeply exciting for but as an for everyone out there but as an intellectual exercise it is hugely powerful to marry decades of deep proprietary content and knowledge and expertise with a large language model or look, or look at google medpalm you know absolutely incredible you know google's large language model married with deep medical data and knowledge to create 
uh, an AI that can essentially pass medical exams that can answer questions as well as qualified, you know, doctors. I mean, it can't actually doctor to you. It can't walk into a room and look into your eyes, it, but it can, it, you know, in terms of answering questions, making diagnoses, an incredibly powerful tool in the hands of doctors. And that's another point, you know, that I think is absolutely crucial. Where I'm coming from is a place where these AIs amplify us as human beings. I think across many contexts and across many domains, that is where it's heading. And that's the most fruitful future is that these AIs become tools that make us more powerful, us more creative, us more effective. Though, look, I do hear where Raoul is occasionally coming from, where essentially they, they also sort of in some domains kind of take over and take control and we don't understand what they're doing and we're trailing in their wake. I think there will be some of that too. I think yeah. for me, the thing I'm excited about is what it does to the scientific method and how it, how it increases uh, discovery, scientific discovery. So particularly in uh, genetic studies, stuff like cancer, other stuff, right? When you, so if you think the story of the discovery of cholera was very interesting. We didn't know what it was. We thought it was an airborne disease. And there was a guy in London, if we'd used the scientific method, it was killing people very fast, right? If we'd used the scientific method, we'd have done tons of laboratory experiments to try and figure it out, hypothesis testing, send it out a paper to the community, get them to write it back. This goes on for years, right? The iterative process of science. But what he did was step back and use the macro view, just mapped out all the cases of cholera, looked at the clusters, then went to all the clusters, and figure out all of them were clustered around water pipes. Then he followed the water pipes and they all came from the River Thames. And so what he found out very quickly was the probability was that this was a waterborne virus or waterborne disease. Now, that's what computational power at scale with AI can do. Mm. You can suddenly analyze all of the component factors and increase your probabilities. And then the scientists can do hypothesis testing with much higher accuracy and chances of getting faster results. For, for medicine and the human biology, which is so complex, as David said, we don't even know how the brain works, this is game-changing, and this can really change humanity at scale in a very positive yeah. way. Yeah, and this is where quantum comes in, as Nardo was telling us today, because of the probability. Now you're linking up things that are operating off that same um, that same framework. Major Duffels, if you're listening, I know you were really thinking about that quantum question. I saw you tweet that today. Um, Raul, I think this one might be one for you, Gary, asking any color on whether AI could help implementing timely updates to regulations around new technologies, including maybe the current digital asset security or not debacle? Power doesn't want to let go of power. Regulators, there's zero chance a bunch of baby boomers in Washington are going to say, you know what, let's ask the machine, even though it's probably the most sensible way to get to the first draft of something, to give it the set of problems and say, how would you do this? And give us three different variations on it. You know, a strict, a, you know, a conservative, a, um, a, a loose definition of the regulation and something that we might be a compromise. Of course we can do that. But people naturally think that they can reach this better and so no they just won't use it should they of course they should we all should yeah, the reasoning yeah. it's very useful you can ask it for three different opinions and give it guidelines of how to answer them and then you can form an opinion based around those it's actually very useful 
Uh, this is very interesting. Philip uh, asking Dave, I'll, I'll toss this one to you. Do certain countries have a talent advantage in AI? It's an interesting one. I mean, you know, the, it, certainly, and I've written about this for GMI as well. I think, I think AI and data and compute are huge geopolitical issues in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. And that's why you're seeing, um, you know, massive, you know, the CHIPS Act in the, in the United States, investment in the EU, pretty massive investment in China, which they paused, but they hope to bring back or people hope they'll bring it back. Um, in chips, you know, semiconductors, the, the base physical infrastructure and the compute power that, that, that AI needs to run on. And what that's signaling is the, the, the big power blocks globally are, are firing up essentially a big race to dominate in AI. Look, I think at the moment the US still has the lead. You know, there was talk about China having the lead. And it's, you know, I think it, if you go and look, it's across some domains in AI, it's publishing more academic papers. And, you know, there's a lot going on there. I think the US clearly has the edge at the moment, but that could change. And China are very, very clear that this is a massive priority. And and sadly, you know what? Sadly, the EU and where I'm sitting right now, the UK is especially the UK is somewhat even though behind. Deep Mind came out of the UK, right? This yeah. whole revolution yeah. came out of Cambridge University, and and as ever, the UK just well, it doesn't have the capital base anymore to accelerate these things like the US does. No, it doesn't. It doesn't have the capital base on its own. I mean, it, it recently announced a fairly pathetic investment in in chips that is just going to get it nowhere versus the huge investment. I mean, what 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 you know? What did I talk about in GMI? You know, the investment that the U.S. has just put into chips and semiconductors is greater than, and I talked about that as a moonshot, and it, it literally is a moonshot because it's greater than the investment into the entire Apollo program. That is how much of a technological push the United States is putting behind chips, because it knows that if you want to be a global you know, superpower in the coming decades, if you don't have intel abundant advanced intelligence on tap, forget it. That is where we are at geopolitically. Um, so the, the race for talent and the competition for talent is going to be huge. And I know, you know, perhaps I'm the only one on the call who cares about it. But the UK taking itself out, out of the power block it was a part of. Mm. Um, like you say, Raoul, it doesn't have, it doesn't have the, the, the investment power. It doesn't have the talent power on its own. London was a magnet for talent. We've kind of decapitated that. So, yeah, not great. Yeah, that's a, a one of those unintended, or perhaps it, I, I don't think it was an intended consequence of Brexit, but the the, the long the long reach of that decision. Yeah. Um, this is interesting for both of you, and 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 by the way, all of these things that are coming up, we're going to be hitting on all of them throughout these two weeks in different forms. Some of them are going to be high level conversations, like the two that we just launched with so far, and that we're having right now. Some of the other ones are a little bit more. Um, sort of tutorial, like user-friendly. How do you think about this when you're thinking about investing, when you're thinking about starting a business? We have some community members who have used this to really sort of power up small businesses. It was one of the positive aspects of it, leveling the playing field. This issue comes up to jobs. Eric asking, do you have any vision for the new jobs that don't exist today, but that AI will lead us to? Either one of you or both of you, if you want to answer I, that. Look, 
I don't know and nobody knows, but I think we will, humans will have to find a different method. My personal view is that it's something more broadly based around community and society, because that's something that's inherently human and how we operate. And in a Web3 world, community becomes everything. And there's ways of being paid for doing that. And it's something that computers can do or AI can do, but maybe not in the same way. So I don't know. It's, it's going to morph. You know, humans are highly adaptive species. We will figure different ways of finding uses for ourselves. Like, you know, we don't drive horses to, to deliver milk anymore. You know, we just, you know, it, it changes. But it is job destructive. But don't forget, the entire major world population of the developing countries plus China are shrinking. So you're actually just offsetting a shrinking population anyway. You know, it's, it's India still growing. That peaks out at the end of this century and then Africa behind it. So the actual world population starts stabilizing. The rate of growth is going down. And so as we start peaking out, I think about 10 million, uh, 10 billion people. So I think it actually does help society in the end because you're, you're replacing humans with this. And we've seen that with Amazon and their robotic workers in their factories. I mean, there's now a third of their workforce are robots. And that will keep continuing as the US population begins to shrink or decline. So I, the answer is I don't know. And everyone says, well, what do I tell my kids? My answer is I haven't got a clue. I'm sorry. Yeah, we got that question earlier. Uh, and we, we, we're going to you know, stay on this and, and try to keep tackling it. But um, what are your thoughts, David? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it is going to be hugely job destructive in terms of the future of work. You know, I think two things. I think lots of people are going to need to get get good at working with AI. You know, you're, the people that win will be the people who can who are able to generate the best outputs from and work with AI in the most fruitful ways. And you can already start to get a sense of that. You know, people who are people who are brilliant at working, at using ChatGPT for research or writing great prompts and writing nuanced prompts are generating amazing outputs, are amplifying their written work and are accelerating ahead of those that can't. So part of the future of work is, is going to be about working with AI and building that kind of relationship with it. Um, longer term, you know, yeah, it's as Ralph said, it's going to be it's going to be job destructive. And as I've said before, I think on Real Vision, you know, at the end of this long journey of technique, of technology, when we've automated everything away that can that can be automated away, what is left is one another. An AI cannot be a human being for you, okay? As, as amazing as it can be and all the things it can do that a human being can't do, it, it simply it can't, what it isn't is another person. And we, we uh, view other human beings as having inherent value to us simply as human beings. So when all of this is said and done or when it's approaching said and done, you know, we'll have an economy of human attention and human care and human entertainment, essentially what we'll, what we'll exchange that's of value to one another is, is, is sort of ourselves and our attention and our personality and our care and our being. And you can start to feel that happening already anyway. I mean, what is, you know, what is YouTube and the hundred, you know, thousand million young people who are, who are now YouTubers, it's a, it's a, it's a economy of, of entertainment. You know, we've turned 
we've turned entertaining one another into a larger part of the economy. Once upon a time, those people would have been like tilling the fields. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> we're just go we're just going to see more of that until eventually you have an economy where every single human is just sort of live streaming their daily life, telling jokes to their micro audience, because everything that can be automated away, all domains of procedural technique are now handled by the machines. Um, and if we get that right, that's a wonderful future. We just be with one another. And then one day we might decide, you know what? We don't really need to call that exchange and value an economy. We just call it being with one another. My personal view is that probably part of how we get there is some form of universal basic income. You know, machines create a lot of value and we find a way to share it. Um, we can do that sensibly and still maintain incentivization for innovation and all of that. Um, I think that's where it heads long, long term. But look, there's a huge political argument, social argument, all kinds of arguments to get to, to a place like that. Yeah, hot mess to get there. But I, mm. I love that sort of optimistic feeling. So we're getting, um, we're getting, you know, some of the, you know, this reminds me of the Cold War, fear of nuclear holocaust back in the 60s. You worry for your children, despite all the positives of AI. Do not worry about likely drone armies driven by AI. How will we survive uh, from Steve? I mean, these are all real concerns, though. And there are some really, really tense moments where I'm going to have to get through, hopefully, before we get to the world you just painted, David. What do you, let's end on, what are you both most concerned about in the near term? What's a... You know, uh, my, my actual concern is I don't know how to deal with regulation. I understand what they're doing is open AI and everybody and Tesla have inserted themselves in this. They're like, we need regulation. They want it for a monopolistic power. I think this technology is too powerful to, to, to give to monopolies. But then a truly open source AI is terrifying in itself because it's uncontrollable. This is a very, very, very difficult situation. And I don't see an outcome that doesn't have unintended consequences, whichever thing we choose. We will look back in history and find out what decisions we made and how it will have impacted something in the future that was both positive and potentially extremely negative. And if we rush in to regulate this and give all the power to three companies that are controlled by the US government, that is not good. Well, we sort of already did that once before. So I think we all know, <laughs> yeah, I think we all with the, with our data. And so I think that that is fresh in everyone's mind, but but how you how you navigate through. David, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say I'm, I'm in a somewhat similar place. And my, one of my big concerns is that this becomes a somewhat incoherent moral panic um, bolstered by, you know, people inside OpenAI and people inside Tesla and all of that who for various reasons find it advantageous to push lines about AI doom and AI Armageddon and, and, the, and the desperate urgent need for regulation and that we rush into forms of regulation. We have an incoherent conversation about it on Twitter and, and, I, and I've, I've heard that's been known to happen, you know, not particularly coherent conversations on Twitter. And then we rush to a forms of regulation that are not that are not useful and that stifle us and that stifle the incredible potential of these technologies to just enhance human. I don't want to sound like I don't want to sound like a starry-eyed utopian. I'm really not, but the incredible potential of these technologies to enhance us in all kinds of powerful ways. Um, and my concern is that axe grinders and the sort of incoherent, chaotic elements in our public conversation 
use this to be honest as a as as a way of just further muddying the waters polarizing people and fear mongering i think we have a lot to fear from ourselves in this moment um probably more from ourselves and where mm. we are as a culture and the quality of our public conversation than we do at the moment from the ai gpt4 and its immediate successors you know they're not about to rise up and take control and turn us all into paper clips you know they're not as exciting as they are they're not going to do that yet but we may ourselves shoot ourselves in, we may end up shooting ourselves in the foot um if we can't have a meaningful productive sensible conversation about this that's where i'm at on that absolutely i mean yes. that is the comment of the day i absolutely love the thought of us all um <laughs> vision of us as paper clips but i think this is hugely hugely important point that you just both brought up um and i think this is what we're going to try to continue to do is have a robust conversation about all of this um and highlight all of the sides of the arguments, the things we need to worry about, the opportunities that are out there, because it is complicated. It doesn't help that this is all hitting at a time when, as our good friend Tommy Thornton says, we're in a bear market for political leadership everywhere around the world. That only sort of, I think, underscores the challenges we face. Um, this was amazing. We've got to leave it there. Uh, but thank you both for sort of helping fill out what we hope to accomplish over the next two weeks. And that, and it'll extend well beyond that, because this is the, the pressing issue of our time, I think. Thank you, Maggie. And thanks everybody for tuning in. And if again, as Maggie said, if you want to watch more of this content, it's, it can't be more important. This is a moment in humanity. Costs you nothing to sign up and smarten up on this. Because if not, the AI is going to be smarter than you. So learn about the AI first. As David said, the people who are going to win this are the people who know how to use it. So yeah. learn how to use it. And I just want to say we're, we're catching up with a, a woman, Buva, on Thursday, who's going to talk a little bit more about the impact on organizations and individual employees and some of the pitfalls we need to watch out for, because this is hitting us all already. And one of the things she said is this is all of our responsibility, right? You can't just say, oh, they're going to take care of it over there. And I'm just waiting to be told what's going to happen. Like This is roll up your sleeves, everybody's responsibility to be engaged in this conversation. So I hope you'll all join us on that journey. Thanks for rolling up today. David and Rao, great to see you. Uh, we Thank will be you. back tomorrow, same times. As always, take care and good luck out there. This episode of the Real Vision Daily Briefing was sponsored by Calshi. Calshi allows investors a chance to profit from being right about the outcome of events. Sign up at calshi.com slash realvision now to claim $15 towards your first event contract today.